Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Almighty Podcast. This is Adam. And this is Atkins from NerdsOnEarth.com. And we're here to talk about a couple more episodes of My Hero Academia. What'd you think about these week's episodes, Adkins? I was super excited to finally start in on season three. Uh, I mean, obviously the show is pretty great, so we're enjoying it as we take it, but you know, starting into season three means we're that much closer to season four, which is nearly upon us, just a couple months away from premiering. And I'm excited about that too. Yeah, me too. I I feel like we're almost at a point where we can start being part of some of the online communities. So that way we're not spoiling ourselves, you know, Uh, we're like right there at the cusp of it. So I'm ready to get through season three so we can kind of start being a part of the overall My Hero community, I guess you could say. Yeah, and I thought that the movie was a fun interlude too. Um, Definitely, yeah, but it was I, a good time. I'm, I'm, I'm just happy to be back watching a couple episodes, taking my normal notes, and sitting down and talking with you, buddy. Yeah, man, I'm uh, ready to get back into our usual swing. It's been a, it's been a long week without it. And this, this first episode, episode 39, called "Game Start," is, I mean, it's pretty heavily recap episode. There's a lot of borrowed. Uh, footage in this episode you yeah. you made the bold claim that like three quarters of the episode was that i think it's more like 25 percent. so we're I, at opposite ends of the spectrum I, I like you know i watch all of the episodes twice and so i watched this episode i think it was maybe four or five days ago and then i rewatched it before uh, we came to record and i swear i had to skip through most of it because like i only needed to watch you know the things that were relevant for this episode and i felt like i skipped through probably 3 quarters of that episode where it was just showing recap yeah and i i was telling adam this off air i made a mistake and bought one manga volume ahead cuz i had kind of gotten off count a little bit and uh so i have no idea how much of episode 39 is like manga canon but it felt like a filler episode a bit, or at it least like did. a recap episode. Um, so we're, yeah. we're, we're not going to spend too, too much time on episode 39, but episode 40 picks up with tremendous speed and momentum. So that's very we'll, true. We'll move in that general direction. Now, to be fair, if you are picking up one of our episodes for the first time, uh, episode 39 is a great place to start off. I mean, if you don't want to watch two seasons of the show for some insane reason, uh, episode 39 is a great place to pick up because it recaps everything you need to know. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, like I said, borrowed footage, but there's also this really cool um, like segment where Aizawa is just going through and doing a quirk breakdown for everybody in class uh, 1A. And that segment alone is is fantastic. I mean, it's so much fun. It's very concise. It felt like, uh, you know, when I was in college and I had a teacher that taught me that when you're writing a paper, you get in, you make your point, you get out. You know, he's like three to five papers if you are three to five pages. If you're under three, you're you're doing an insufficient job. If you're over five, I'm docking points for you, uh, you know, running down rabbit trails or being just too verbose on some things. And that little quirk breakdown made me think of that it it got in it was like two or three sentences for everybody in class 1a and it was it was great i mean that that little thing should be a video on youtube somewhere it's just like here's what everybody can do yeah it was really nice and the whole lead up getting them to there is really simple as well i mean we start off this episode we basically have kurogiri and shigaraki talking about hero killer stain and what they refer to as the ua brats uh, of course, All Might is still, you know, Shigaraki's biggest hang-up at the moment. He thinks that literally every bad thing in the world happens because All Might breathes. So he's trying <laughs> to rectify that. Uh, and we get another weird scene where Midoriya is just, like, sitting in his bedroom at home, like, obsessing over All Might. It still kind of weirds me out that 
in his free time, he like hangs out in his house full of All Might posters, watching All Might videos, and then like goes to school and hangs out with All Might. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I thought about you actually when uh, when that scene came up and he's still got these posters and he even rewatches that YouTube video. It's like uh, his morning motivational, you know? Yeah, I wonder if that's just a, like a part of his daily routine is, yeah, it's time to watch the YouTube video again. Perhaps. Uh, but he gets interrupted by Mineta and Kiminari, who have decided to come in and grab him to take him swimming. Uh, they want to do laps and increase their stamina. Yeah, and this is where we transition to where Aizawa and another teacher that we haven't had any exposure to that I'm that I can think of. This guy I named Vlad. I feel like Vlad. he's been in the background, but like not directly associated with anything yet. So yeah, Vlad. Yeah, he's he's the class one B homeroom teacher, so we don't know anything about him. Uh, I mean, Vlad I mean, the teacher. Yeah, I mean <laughs> that we rolls read, off the tongue. <laughs> right, we could read about him on the wiki, but we're just it's just like we'll we'll just take him as he comes. Um, but Aizawa. And he, I guess, are preparing for this summer camp. And so they go over all of the quirks of Class 1A. And then there's this line where Aizawa's like, well, we should also look at Class B's quirks. But then they get interrupted, which just bummed me out. Because I was super excited to get the rundown of everybody in Class B and what they could do. We've seen hints of a handful of them during the tournament. Um, But for the most part, we're totally unfamiliar with the majority of that class, I would say. Yeah, like I think the only one I can actually remember's name is Monoma, uh, and only because he seems to continuously pop up. Uh, so, other than that, though, I mean, one B, we we don't know a whole lot about. Yeah, I know Monoma and I know Kendo, but mostly because Kendo, Kendo is constantly right. just KOing Monoma, which is a trope that I really appreciate. It happens at yeah. least once in these two episodes, but it's happened before as well. Oh, and there's yeah, then I, there's the uh, the dude whose head is a caption bubble. I think he's from one B too. Yeah, I think he is one B, but we haven't actually seen him in action. Action like he was just kind of a background character, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he was just. I think the only time we've ever seen him when he was when he was running through the minefield, actually during the uh, yeah during the obstacle course. And then there's the druid lady and the psychic guy, but like I don't remember their names. They haven't really cropped back up just quite yet. Oh yeah, so. yeah, 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 yeah. Oh uh, shoot, uh, Shinsho. Shinzo, that's his name. But he was. Yeah. He wasn't one B. He was. Um, he was the general oh, that's studies right. he guy. He was in the general studies guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's right. I think the druid chick though, she's one B. Yeah. Oh, and so is Tetsu, 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 Tetsu. We can't forget about him. Oh man, I would love. To, I hope he gets to go on this summer camp. We haven't seen him in a little while. Yeah. I mean the the implication just because of this discussion between Aizawa and Vlad is that the two of them will be at summer camp together. We don't get that in these two episodes. We we kind of maybe get a hint about that at the very end of episode forty. Um, well, I think they, so, I mean, I think in the next episode, we see them getting on a bus going to summer camp. Yeah. They're just not on the same bus as 1A. Yeah. Well, maybe they're different camps. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. That could be exciting. I, I want to see more interaction. I want to see more 1B. I just want to see more heroes and quirks because that's, that's part of, you know, one of the fascinating elements of this show. I want to see what the writer has come up with as far as quirks. Like, what does he consider a B power? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, anyways, to move forward with episode 39, uh, we've got this great scene where, you know, obviously Aizawa and Vlad have been interrupted by Mineta, Kaminari, and Midoriya, and they're asking if their clearance to use the pool has been uh, pretty much accepted by the teachers, and they get the A-OK to go, and, you know, Midoriya thinks they're just there for, like, lap training and stamina increasement and just trying to get physically fit, you know, but it's actually because Mineta... And Kaminari overheard that the females of Class 1A are going to be training at the pool, and they want to see them in bikinis. Yeah, and it's pretty funny because they, during that conversation with the girls, uh, they were told, or they say, 
that the school said that they couldn't go anywhere. They couldn't go off anywhere for vacation because, you know, there's a risk now with the League of Villains and all this stuff. And so Momo says, right. I was supposed to go to Venice. And then Ochako straight up calls her bougie. <laughs> yeah. just, just like that's so bourgeois. <laughs> it was really funny. Yeah, I thought that was funny. Uh, and this is when Mineta and Kaminari are like, well, hey, you know, they're going to use the pool. I bet we could use the pool, but there's no way the teachers would let us use it. We're going to have to get Midoriya because they'll trust him. And I thought that was kind of funny, too. Like, they totally know the teachers would be like, well, these guys are up to something. Yeah, and they, they show up to the pool. Kaminari ends up being fairly disappointed. I mean, he's, like, running towards the water, and he's like, I'll burn the sight of them in their bikinis into my eyes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but he's upset because the, the ladies aren't in bikinis at all. They're actually in, like, school, like, one pieces, but they've got, like, short bottoms, so they're... They're very, they're very modest is what they are. But Mineta is totally okay with this, I th- which is weird because he regularly sees more of these girls than he does in these, uh, you know, while they're in these particular suits. But he's just like, whatever, it's fine. Yeah. Well, not only are the girls not in bikinis, but all of the other guys from 1A are there as well. Right. Turns out they all had the same idea to get together and, I guess, work out. Uh, or just pool day, really. Yeah, and I, I really like this, too. This is just a minor little, like, touch visually but Ida now has a scar from where hero killer stain drove the sword down through his shoulder and i just like that as a v- piece of visual continuity i thought it was pretty cool that they included that thought to include that i mean you see you see the scar on uh midori's hands um but that's been a continuing piece of visual continuity but I, I i don't know i just it obviously it would be there but i just was like oh that's a nice touch that Ida has a scar now yeah they do add a, a lot of nice little touches like that well, we end up seeing the guys, of course, have to turn this into a competition, uh, especially once Bakugo shows up. They, you know, they've got a couple minutes here where they're all just practicing, hanging out. But Bakugo shows up, and he wants to fight Midoriya, and then you know, Ida gets the bright idea. Well, let's just have a big competition. Let's see who can swim 50 meters the fastest. And quirks are enabled. You guys are welcome to use them however you want. So, of course, this leads into most people not even swimming at all. I mean, Bakugo just flies across the line, and he calls it freestyle swimming. Yeah. I thought that was great. Yeah, Todoroki just freezes. He, like, ice slides across the top of the water. And Midoriya, actually, everybody in Midoriya's heat, except for Ida, actually does swim. Um, Ida gets up on, like, one of the little runner lines between lanes, and he only uses one of his leg pipes for some reason. He doesn't use both, which I, I don't understand why you would handicap yourself like that. If you've got two leg pipes, use two leg pipes, especially in a race, but... Yeah, that's what I was kind of wondering the same thing. Yeah, but it's it's great. Ida, as the class rep, like maneuvers this encounter between Bakugo and Midoriya into this 50 meter swim. And right before this, um, right before Bakugo shows up, Ida has this conversation with Midoriya that I thought was pretty funny uh, because he sits down with Midoriya and he's like, during the entrance exam, I didn't think you and I would be good friends. And frankly, I didn't think much of you then. And I just have a note <laughs> in my uh, in my notes that just says. I thought the same about you, uh, the same thing about you, Ida, back then. I mean, our first yeah. impression of Ida, I, I went, I've been re-listening to our episodes um, so we can have titles and, and synopses that are just, that are more than just like episode number followed by an exclamation point. And when Ida first comes on the scene, I did not like him at all. Um, no, I remember back episode one, you and I both were like, screw that guy. Yeah. So he's, he's definitely grown on us, but it was just really funny that his perception of Midoriya was my perception of him or, or our yeah. perception of him early on. 
That is really kind of funny. So anyway, they they have these. There's three heats. All the boys compete. Bakugo wins his heat. Todoroki wins his, and then Midoriya wins their heat. Just barely beats out Ida, but it's enough. So they. Well, I was actually really surprised about that too because Ida seemed like he he put on like you know full power, and then Midoriya like powered up halfway through. Well, he put on it was 50% pretty cool. power. He had full power on one leg. Oh, that's true. I'm surprised okay. Midoriya so, yeah. didn't berate him for only using part of his power, but or Bakugo. That's a for good that point. Matter. I see what you're saying. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Um. Because he, he, by all means, he Ida probably should have won, but he didn't because he uh, he only used one engine leg and not two. And I still don't know why he did that. But anyway, the, the three of those win, and they're getting ready to set up a championship heat where Bakugo gets a chance to follow up on his words because he's like, I'll beat you, Midoriya, and I'll beat you, you half-and-half half bastard. And they're all like lining up for this. And um, one of them is really interesting. One of them is going to swim in the water, which is Midoriya. One of them is 100% going to go over top, like not touch water at all, which is Bakugo. And then the third, Todoroki, is going to stay right atop the water with ice. So they have like three different modes of transportation represented with these three. But then Aizawa lets everybody know that it's 5 p.m. and everybody has to go home. Their time at the pool is up. So we, we, yeah. we get robbed of that particular experience. It looked like it was going to be pretty cool, too. I mean, they like all jump in the middle of the air, and their quirks are about to activate, and then they just plop into the water. Yeah, so did Aizawa cancel all three of them? Like, just yeah, in real so. quick succession, I guess? Well, I think he can cancel... Well, yeah, that's a good point. I guess I thought he could cancel anybody that he could see, but now that I think about it, I feel like back when he was fighting at USJ, he could only cancel one at a time. Yeah, that's what I thought. But anyway. So maybe it was just in quick succession. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if you even if you just kind of had them stutter right at the start, maybe that would have been enough. Like, you know, if, if you get tripped up just a hair when you're coming off the line in an actual foot race, that, that could yeah. be enough to, to put you on the ground. But That's true. Anyway, we get this scene, too, of Kirishima and Bakugo, and they're walking home together, and they also arrive together late, which is just more fuel for the shipping fire, and it's not even going to be the last fuel for this shipping fire that takes place between them in these two episodes, so there, there you go, uh, fanboys and girls. Yeah, it's it's there. It, it exists, and people apparently want that. <laughs> yeah. And then we have a very, very short scene where we're back at the checking in with the League of Villains, and uh, Shigaraki returns to video game language, which I missed. I honestly missed that. I remember when he first was on the scene, I was super like, he is a super big video game nerd, and it kind of fell away for a while, but now it's back as he's saying that a new game is about to begin. And that's kind of where episode 39 ends. We did it in 15 and a half minutes. So actually, it's probably going to be even less than that edited. Right. There just wasn't a whole lot that happened in that episode. It it did feel much, very much so like a filler episode. It wouldn't surprise me if in the manga uh, episode 41, I guess, is it, or episode 40 is the actual first issue in what, I guess, manga would be volume three? No, the I think we're in volume, I think I bought either volume eight or nine, so we're e- gotcha. either in seven or eight right now. Because it doesn't go in seasons, yeah. Correct, yeah. correct. It goes by number of chapters. Right. Well, in, in episode 40 starts right off, Shigaraki's talking to Kirigiri, uh, who, oddly enough, they both know a lot about Midoriya. Uh, I think we even kind of see this in the last episode showcase, where Kirigiri knows the fact that he was born you know, without a quirk, never developed one, and then all of a sudden is at USJ with one. Like, They kind of have this timeline of Midoriya down, which is kind of creepy. Um, but they're talking about where the kids are going. I guess All for One was able to determine where the kids' campsite was going to be, and Shigaraki couldn't, even though he'd been looking for them for quite a while. So is this where you're going to bring back to the surface your theory that there is a leak inside of UA? This is your opening, Adam. This is your opening. I know. 
it feels like a leak, man. I mean, it just seems weird that like all for one happens to, I mean, I'm assuming he's the one that knew when all might was going to be there. You know, now he knows where these kids are going. It just feels weird. I mean, the principal's the one that probably booked the tickets. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> okay. I didn't, I wasn't <laughs> saying you had an opening to make Teddy Ruck spin a villain all over again, but I do think no. one of your like season one theories was that there was an accomplice for the villains inside of, uh, of USJ. Yeah. Yeah. I still believe that. There's something, there has got to be somebody given uh, all for one this information. I think that that. I think I believe that a little bit more given this particular scene. Yeah. I don't think, I still don't think that it's Nezu. I don't think it's Nezu. So like, I think Nezu's a villain, but I don't think he's a villain that would even associate himself with the league of villains. Like, I think he's the ultimate villain. He's above one all for one. I mean, I know this, this got another level of ridiculous for me, (laughs) but knowing that he has a quirk where he can see the outcome of events, I feel like he would be like, yeah, I'm not going to bother with the League of Villains. Like, I am thinking above that. You know what I mean? Well, he would bother with them if he perceived an end that was fortuitous for him. That's true. So, I mean, I don't know. There, I, I do think, I mean, and this is this is a trope inside of not just anime, but like across all mediums is oh, that yeah. there's there's an inside person who's going to do a little bit of backstabbing. And there's, I mean, that goes back millennia, oh, I yeah. feel like. There's always the stories of the inside guy with the backstabbing. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I'm going to be devastated, devastated if it's Aizawa. Um, I don't think oh that it God. is. No, I, that's not even crossed my but mind. But if for some reason they were like, haha, it's been Aizawa this whole time, I, I might quit the show. I mean, I, w- I would stop recording the podcast, maybe. I would be so upset. I would be really upset if it was Aizawa, too. Like, that may be an ending for me liking the show. Because yeah. that's not even crossed my mind. I'm assuming it's as like someone we either haven't seen or, I don't know, I could see Ayama being the the guy that's trading in secrets. I don't know how, but I don't like him, so I'm okay with blaming him. Who? Ayoyama, you mean? Yeah, yeah uh, Ayoyama, yeah. the naval laser. laser guy. I mean, like, I, just based on I perception, just, I think Ectoplasm is candidate number one, because he just oh, straight yeah. up looks like a villain. He does look like a villain, yep. I don't know, there are quite a bit of people that like I see them at USJ or UA, you know, and I'm like, eh, it could be one of them. Well, they know about the summer camp and where it is, so confrontation is inevitable at this point. This is uh, Chekhov's gun. If the villains know where the good guys are going to be, at some point the villains are going to be where the good guys are going to be. So we have that to look forward to. Um, Absolutely. We get a scene of uh, the students, and they're talking. uh, Aizawa's kind of giving them the rundown before they get on these buses and go to the camp, and he says that there, there are no days off for those becoming heroes, so... They don't really get that summer vacation that so many students are accustomed to because they still need to train. And uh, times nowadays in particular are, um, they're fraught with like a new level of danger. So there's a sense of urgency to all of this. Um, in, in fact, Aizawa goes on later to explain that part of the summer camp's purpose is to get these students a provisional license that would let them use their quirks in an emergency, which is not something that typically comes this early in their UA tenure. Aizawa also uses the phrase plus ultra, but I don't feel like he, I feel like he doesn't like that at all. Like it, uh, it seems too flashy for him. That phrase does not fit Aizawa. I think that he says it because, you know, he's, he's good. He's good at being, you know, like a supporter of the school and wants to do his best. But when he said plus ultra, I was just like, ugh, that feels gross. Aizawa would never say that. 
Yeah, I agree. And, you know, it kind of harkens back to that. I almost want to use the word animosity between Aizawa and All Might from season one. And we never really got much of a follow-up there. Yeah, I was thinking about that the other day, too. We haven't really had anything even, like, unless we're just... We haven't even really interacted. Right, unless we're, like, completely blind and dumb, which, you know, history. uh, You know, (laughs) we've missed something. Uh, that there was like a seed and maybe we just made a mountain out of a molehill about that conversation, you know, that, uh, that, that, that took place between them and these things that All Might had said about Aizawa before we actually met him. Um, but everything seems pretty okay and rosy right now. Well, and it could just be maybe credence to how great the writer is. His name's Hirokoshi, right? Yeah. Horikoshi. Yeah. I mean, Horikoshi. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it could just be credence to how great he is at writing. I mean, he may be planting these subtle seeds that we're picking up on, and he's just not planning on revealing it for several seasons or something. But I do feel like that was something that seemed really obvious. Like, we both agree. Like, man, there's something there. And then just nothing ever came of it. Oh, my gosh. What if, what if this is even more evidence for that crazy harebrained idea that Aizawa actually <laughs> is the defector? I don't like it. We got to stop. This. I know we, this is not we this is stop. not a conspiracy trail that I want to go it's down so bad. at all. It will br- it will destroy. <laughs> it will be as if Shigaraki grabs a hold of my very heart if Aizawa yeah. ends up being the traitor. Yeah, that would hurt. That would be. Uh, that's like uh, I don't know if you can say that. That's awful. Disintegrated uh, in the heart if Aizawa is the man. bad guy. Well, I, maybe we'll find out this season or this upcoming season. I, I have been told that in season three, something big happens. Uh, not like someone was like, oh, you got to see it. But a matter of like, hey, I saw a trailer for season four and there's a huge spoiler in it. Don't watch it. So I'm like, okay, <sighs> oh my staying gosh. away from that. It better not be Aizawa. I'm so upset right now just thinking about that. <laughs> it's so bad. But Aizawa is he's the best thing about this show. Yeah. Well, let's let's keep going on with episode 40. and We'll, we'll have to worry about Aizawa later tonight. Uh, the big thing that we've got going on here is Aizawa has got 1A and I think 1B is like right next to them all together, ready to go on the bus, uh, to head to this campsite. Uh, yeah. And in fact, I know 1B is there cause this is when Monoma starts making fun of class 1A and he's like, Hey, I heard some of you guys failed your final test. How embarrassing is that? Because you're supposed to be better than us. And Kendo like knocks him out. Yep. I love it. Yeah, it's great. Uh, so everyone gets loaded up to these buses. Class 1B goes off. And then there's a quick scene I want to mention here, just for reference later on in the episode. Uh, Achako and Midoriya are talking, and there's another awkward moment where like they kind of get close, and they both like you know blush and then back away from each other. Uh, and I, I bring that up just so that way it's fresh in your mind for something I'm going to bring up here in a little bit. She, she has like a delayed onset of embarrassment. Because she, yeah. she gets really close, which unnerves Midoriya for reasons unbeknownst to us. Because in the movie, like we covered last week, he has no problems getting invited up to an attractive young lady's room. But, you know, if he gets close enough to just this one particular lady, then, you know, I guess that's how crushes work. Maybe he just had no interest whatsoever um, in, oh shoot, what what even was her name? I forgot. Missy, wasn't it? What? Was it Missy? No, it Missy? definitely wasn't Missy. <laughs> I'm not gonna say. <laughs> I'm not gonna guess her name. I don't shoot. I don't remember. Anyway, hold on. I've got my movie notes right here. Melissa. I was M- close. Melissa. Okay, Missy and Melissa are not all that close. Well, they both start with an M and a Y. Okay. <laughs> There's not Missy, a Y in no. Melissa. <laughs> well, if you spell it weird, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, 
So anyway, yeah, he he is immediately <laughs> embarrassed by Ochako's proximity, and then it takes like Ochako a conversation's worth of time for her to remember this discomfort that she has around Midoriya, and then she like runs to the other side and begins a chant about how she's super excited about summer camp. Yep, and it's I don't know the, their whole dynamic is just funny to me. Uh, I think that they're really trying to emphasize that they both have crushes on each other, but then we're picking it up as it just being awkwardness, and it's great. It's very, it's so, very. I mean, middle school and early high school. I mean, that's it, it's oh, it's yeah. true to their their stations in life as as they've been uh, told to us anyway. To- totally, totally. Uh, so we end up getting this scene where the buses have pulled over. At least it lo- seems like it's both buses, but we find out it's just 1A. 1B has continued on to the campsite. Uh, 1A is pulled over, and it looks like they're just stretching their legs, and Mineta's got to use the restroom. And all of a sudden, this like car pulls around. It almost looks like a taxi. And these ladies get out with this little kid, and they're actually pro-heroes, and they are named... The wild, wild pussycats. And they're ridiculous. Uh, they're apparently pro heroes that specialize in mountain rescue. Yeah, because you know. And I think they're like sisters. That's where pussycats thrive, in mountains. You didn't know that? I guess not. You knew frog tongues were venomous, but you didn't know that, you know, the pussycat's natural environment was mountain terrain? I feel like maybe if they were named like the cougars, then I could see it. <laughs> well, <laughs> something. it's funny I mean, you should say that, actually, <laughs> because there's a scene later on in this episode that cougar would be an appropriate descriptor of. Absolutely. Well, that's why I'm saying they should be called the cougars. Yeah. They shouldn't be called the pussycats. They, uh, it's funny, though, too, because they get out of the car and immediately Midoriya starts fanboying all over them. And I think that that's such a cool element to his character that he just he knows so much about all of these heroes because of his childhood adoration of them in his notebooks that he's like spitting out all these facts about the pussycats. And it's, it's super cool. The, the wild, wild pussycats also look like they're wearing the cat suit from uh, Mario 3d world. Yeah, they totally do. And and it's funny too, because not only is he fanboying about them, but he's telling everybody about them. And so he mentions something like, yeah, they were put together 12 years ago. So that must make them like, and he starts to say their age and one of them jumps up in his face and is like, don't you dare say anything about my age. Right. I'm only 18. <laughs> yeah, for, forever 18. Yeah. Uh, so they're definitely kind of a weird bunch. Uh, and the kids are kind of starting to figure out that maybe something weird is up. And they all start to realize that they need to rush back to the bus and get on it. Otherwise, they're getting left behind. And right as they start to get onto the bus, uh, one of the pussycats, it looks like her quirk is the ability to control Earth. She's an Earth Yeah, I mean, basically... Uh, so she like cascades them down into this valley that's connected to a forest in between the final destination and them and tells them like, yeah, you guys are gonna have to go through Beast Forest to get to the campsite. Uh, we'll see you there in a couple hours. Oh, and if you miss this time slot, well, you're not getting lunch. Sorry. And, you know, they take off. And so the kids have to go and face this forest of beasts. And it's pretty cool because one of those beasts, it, it comes onto the scene immediately because Mineta goes, he sees a tree and he's got to pee. So he does what any boy with a bl- bladder full of urine would do in a situation and starts to run back there to try to find some cover and relieve himself and bumps into this like giant, it's like a clay golem, but it's four legged. Yeah. It looks like a giant. I mean, it's a cool monster design. Very cool monster design. 
Do you remember the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie? Of course, like I remember the Mighty the Morphin Power Rangers movie. I was okay. like, to- I was totally the target market for that back then. Yeah, me too. So it reminded me of the uh, the like bone creatures they fought whenever they were the oh, ninja yeah. warriors. Yeah, that was the last time the Power Rangers were cool. By the way, when they were ninjas, because then they went on to be like shapes and Zeo, and I totally gave up on all things Power Rangers after that. I wish I could say that I did, but I I don't think I gave up on Power Rangers until they were like firefighters. Man, they went from dinosaurs, which was every kid's dream, to ninjas, which is every kid's dream, to shapes. And I was like, I'm out. Well, to be fair, this is a whole other podcast. But <laughs> <laughs> I feel like those those Zeo Warriors or whatever were the alien Space Rangers whenever their power crystals got disconnected. And then they went back to being the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and then after they ended was when they became the Car Rangers or whatever, the Turbo Rangers. That's when it got kind of wor- like quonky for me. Listen, you can try to explain it all you want. When, when the guy who used to have a Tyrannosaurus Rex helmet had a star helmet, I was out. I was done. <laughs> okay. I washed my hands that. of the Power Rangers. <laughs> well, let's get... Oh, God. We are so derailed at this point. I love it. This is great. We need a Power Rangers podcast now. I don't have time for that. There's like 700 episodes of that show, I bet. It's probably comparable to One Piece. Oh, I'm sure it is at this point. Uh, The guy that writes Nightwing, or he was writing Nightwing, uh, his name's Kyle Higgins. He has written an incredible Power Rangers comic book. It's like one of the best comics I've ever read. Yeah, I've heard that some of the Power Rangers comics are excellent, but... They are excellent. It's uh, it's a whole like parallel universe where Tommy was evil the whole time, and he was yeah. like, always the Green Ranger, yeah, and it's yeah. it's really cool. It does sound awesome. But anyways, let's get back to yeah. my hero academia. So Mineta <laughs> runs in there, bumps into this creature, they all attack it, um, and then there's this really funny line where everybody's like, "Yeah, we did it. We beat up the Gollum monster thing," and Mineta just says, "You did it, and I did it too," which was him implying, or maybe not so much implying, as explicitly saying that at minimum he pissed himself. I mean, he he might yeah. have he might have dropped a deuce too, and it literally had the crap scared out of him but we don't know he actually says in the english version like oh man i'm glad you guys are relieved because i've relieved all over myself oh that's funny my this it's yeah. much more subtle in the uh in the english uh, oh, it's not subtitle. subtle at all in the english yeah that's funny that's funny because usually the japanese i would it's think normally the opposite yeah, yeah yeah in fact i asked you off air about a line coming up later because uh, i figured that the english would have toned it down some but it does not we'll talk about that nope. in a second it doesn't so uh, i gotta say Go ahead. I was going to say just more fuel to the shipping fire. Immediately after this scene resolves, Kirishima begins complimenting Bakugo. And I was just like, ah, it's, we're never going to escape this. No, we're not. And in fact, not only do we get a team up between them, but we get a team up between all of the heroes. I mean, we get like probably a good five, ten minute scene here where it's just them fighting off these earth monsters that one of the pussycats is controlling. I th- it did look like uh, one of them was like con- looking at them or looking through their eyes through her like visor. Is that yeah. what you're referring to? Well, it's uh, OK. So Mandalay is one of the the pussycats. And then the other one is named Pixie Bob. Pixie Bob is the one controlling them. Like, she's actually controlling those Earth monsters. Okay, now I'm on the wiki. Uh, so, Earth Flow is her quirk. Her quirk allows her to freely manipulate the Earth for a variety of effects. And her super move is Earth Beast Creation. Yeah, Pixie yeah Bob. she's creating those monsters. And, like, I think once they finally make it through... Because we see all of the, them fighting these monsters, and then once they finally make it through, at the very end, she's like, wow, you guys fared off against my beast a lot better than I thought. Okay, cool. What's the other one's quirk then? Do we know? 
I don't think we've seen Mandalage just quite yet. Okay. She's definitely, she's the other one. There's, we've only met two of them, I think. But yeah. I think there's four. We've only met Mandalay and Pixie Bob, but I think there's four total. Okay. Um, so yeah, they're, but then like immediately after they're finished celebrating and Kirishima compliments Bakugo, then you get this really sweet segment like Adam is talking about. And it actually showcases all 20 students over the course of the next few minutes as more of these golem things erupt from the ground. So first it's like Shoji and Jiro are performing recon. So Jiro plugs her earplugs into the ground and Shoji's all ears, you know, at the end of his little weird fleshy appendage things. Uh, so they call out the number and the location of these things. And then you have Saro who tapes one, one of them's flying and he tapes their wings together, and then Kirishima and Sato punch it to death after Sato pounds some sugar. And Tokoyami and Ojiro trip one up, and then Aoyama naval lasers another one. Uh, Mineta is pissed that he's pissed himself, and sticks a third one to a couple of trees, and then Kaminari yeah. drops a million, 1.3 million volts on it into dirt somehow, and that worked. Um, so I wasn't sure about the, the yeah like for all i mean for everything i know about his quirk i don't feel like it should have been able to affect a bunch of earth monsters right but. that's what i thought too uh, <laughs> hey what do we know about it you know conductivity yeah right? so he he turns dumb immediately afterwards then um coda finds out they they initially sit coda on these creatures when they first show up but we find out that he cannot his animal talking ability doesn't work on them because they're unnatural i guess yeah, I, I wonder if it's because they're mindless creatures. Kind of like how in D&D and Pathfinder you have certain like mental uh, you know, spells that just won't work on like zombies or yeah. mummies or things like that because they're mindless. Well, he does his best. He gets a bunch of birds to swarm one and then Mina like uses her acid to knock it down. She like puts a bunch of acid acid on its legs. And then Hagakure is like bait for another one as she's running away from it, clothed this time so it has something to track. And then Momo just has this cannon that's manifested out of her, and she blasts the one that Mina knocked down a second ago with Koda's help, and also the one Hagakure is running from. Yeah, it was an awesome combo. And then you get your favorite combo, so I'll let you uh, talk oh. through this one since I've handled the majority of these in quick order. Yeah, my fa- I was telling Adkins before the show even got started, my favorite combo out of all of this was Sue and Achako. You know, Achako basically levitates one, Sue grabs it with her tongue, flings it really high into the air, and then Achako dissipates the levitation, and it just falls to its death. Like, that's pretty brutal. <laughs> it was a good... It was a good it, this whole segment was a really, really concise um, showcase of quirks. So in the previous episode, or was it at the top of this one... It was the previous episode where you get the rundown of everybody's quirk. Yeah. In this one, yeah, you get it was the to previous see them episode. all in a, every last one of them in action, which is just super cool. It was really cool. Uh, after that, uh, after the Ochako and Sue bit, then you just have a couple of briefer. You don't really see much come of these, but Bakugo and Todoroki are running at one together, and then Ida and Midoriya are advancing on another together. But that's all 20 students of Class 1A um, have screen time during this little battle scene and it's it's great it, it is a fantastic well engineered and orchestrated segment um that deserves a lot of praise in my opinion for um for what it accomplishes in such a short amount of time i agree i mean this is the first time in three seasons first time ever we've seen all of the students on you know the air being showcased in such a great manner i mean they were all working really well together we get to see examples of their quirk in action and it's it's just cool I mean, the scene was really well done. It reminded me of the mo- one of the more recent Dragon Ball Z movies where Frieza comes back, Resurrection F. Yeah. And they do some fan service there where they have all the original Z fighters fighting off against Frieza's men. 
And, you know, that it's just like you hardly ever see all of the Z fighters on screen at one point in time fighting together. It was really cool to see that. Yeah. In fact, I wrote a review for that for Nerds on Earth. And one of my biggest praises for that movie was the fact that all of the Z fighters were relevant again. It wasn't just the Goku yeah. and Vegeta show. Um, that, I mean, even, even the weakest members of what we might call the Z fighters, uh, got to, got to take it to some Frida's, Frieza's baddies. And it was great. It was yeah. a fantastic segment of that movie. It was, I would really love to see like a massive segment of a bunch of the student heroes and some of the teacher heroes like fighting together. Like I would love to see maybe Aizawa and one of the, the kids team up together, you know, that would be really cool. Yeah, man, something like that is bound to happen. It has to, yeah. At some point, even if it's not in something that's already out there, it's going to happen at some point in time, I'm sure. Yeah, and even if it's just fan service, I wouldn't care because I, I totally want to see it. That's the fan service I live for. Like, that's the kind of stuff that, as a fan, I want to see. Like, give me all the goodies. That's right. Um, then they they do eventually make it to the camp. They were, I think, they were given a three hour time limit. They did not make it in that time limit, but they I, they didn't give us an official like how long they they were able to do it in. But it seemed like it was at least six or seven hours, like double what they thought it was going to take. Yeah, it's like dusk when they arrived yeah. there. And but to their credit, I mean, they they didn't make it inside of the prescribed time limit. But the uh, the wild wild pussycats explained that they actually made it a lot quicker than they were expected to. So there's there's some praise in the midst of, uh, you know, that, that failure, that perceived failure. And, and these poor students look ragged. Oh yeah. They're all exhausted. And some of them you could tell have kind of pushed their quirks past the boundary. So like Mineta, for example, is bleeding from his head again. Um, I, I do like dragging his legs. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, what I'm going to refer to as the hero killer four. So that's Todoroki, Ida, Midoriya and Bakugo, the, the the hero killer four are singled out as exceptional performers. I guess they were being watched this whole time, but um, the the wild wild pussycats call them out for doing an, a, a particularly fantastic job on their romp through the woods. And then this is when this is when the cougar term would become uh, very very appropriate, given the uh, mannerisms of Pixie Bob because she starts getting super creepy and she's just like they're they're 15 years old all the kids in UA that we're following around now and Pixie Bob is like ooh but you know just three more years and I'll you know it's just creepy she's she's being very innuendous with you know affection for the those those boys in particular that's funny because it in the English version she wasn't like she was just like oh they did really great uh, I bet I could train them up. And then Aizawa makes the comment, like, is she always this creepy? And Mandalay says, oh, well, it's about time she chooses a mate. And I'm like, okay, this doesn't make any sense at all. So I was looking forward to hearing what happened from your perspective, because I'm willing to bet in the Japanese version it was a little bit creepier than that. Yep, she was definitely like, three years isn't that long a, dis you know, that long a time. I don't remember, I didn't write down the exact lines, but it was very, uh, like, sexually aggressive, it felt. <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. Yep, cougars would definitely work in that case then. Absolutely, at least for Pixie Bob. And this is actually the point where Midoriya notices the kid that has been kind of like lingering around uh, these pro heroes. And he mentions like, hey, what's going on with this kid? Like, who is that? You know, we're here to train and whatnot. And there's just this kid running around. And this is when Mandalay explains that it's actually her cousin's son, and his name is Coda, and he's going to be around for the next couple weeks, and you know he should get to know them, and they should get to know him. Midoriya walks up to introduce himself, and like Coda just nails him in the balls. I mean, just punches him as hard as he can. 
it would totally caught me off guard really, really hard. I was not expecting this at all. I'm like laying on the floor laughing. And Ida's freaking out. You know, he calls him a fiend of a child and says a punch to the scrotum is unforgivable. Yeah, and I had asked Adam before we started recording about this scene in particular because in the uh, in the Japanese with the English subtitles, Midori or uh, Ida yells, "Why did you do that to Midoriya's scrotum?" And I was like, "There's no way scrotum made it to the English cut, right?" <laughs> and it sure enough did, apparently. <laughs> Yeah. I also want to yeah, pause was... and give thanks to Horikoshi here for giving us a character named Koda and a character named Koda, a character named Jiro, and one named Ojiro, a character named Todoroki, and another one called Tokoyami. Listen, all these names are really, really close to one another, and it, you know, I have a hard time with them, so I can't imagine the nightmare that Adam is experiencing right now. Yeah, I mean, I think it was two episodes ago. I pretty much just gave up on Sokoichi, oh, yes. which oh I've practiced. I've been practicing. I bet you, you know, have. That, it rolled off the tongue pretty well that time. That made me laugh so hard. <laughs> but I do have in my notes that I really like Koda already because he just, like you said, just punches Midori right in the balls. And my notes just say, this could have been anybody and I would have laughed. I would have approved. But it also could have been some other particular folks that could have made that moment even better. Like there are other people in 1A that if Coda had just racked some of these other folks in the scrotum, it would have been funnier. Um, but I appreciate that it was just done to anybody. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, no, it does make sense. Like if he had just uh, reared back and like, if he had like punched Bakugo square in the nads, or if he had punched Kirishima and Kirishima was like quick enough to harden himself that would have been great in that region, but it's not that kind of anime and like hurt Kato's <laughs> hand or if he had punched Kaminari, that would have been equally funny. Like, you know, it would have been great. Well, and then we get a funny scene here too, where Bakugo is like, yeah, oh man, I like that guy. And Todoroki's like, yeah, he's a lot like you, right? Like they're pretty much just like you. <laughs> yeah. And in the, in the subtitles, uh, Bakugo at this point calls Todoroki a GG, like two letters, GG bastard. And, pre, pre, you know, usually he's calling him like half and half, which I approve of and understand. I don't know what GG Bastard stands for. So if you know that, uh, I don't know. like hit I us did up pick on Twitter. Up he calls him Icy Hot in this episode. And at one point in time, he calls him Scarface, which I'm really shocked about. Oh, like, wow. Yeah, I know. Like I, he continuously gets to the point where he is like being really, really mean to some of these people in, in UA. And I'm really shocked that nobody is ever like, dude, come on. Yeah. You know, like just stop. Um, but yeah, if you happen to know why he was called GG, hit us up on Twitter. I have no idea what that is. Per, perhaps I'm just dumb. But anyway, the students are there finally. And after their, uh, you know, this introduction of Coda, they're told that there's going to be this massive meal that's cooked for them by the wild, wild pussycats. But they could go take a shower real quick. Um, and so they all get cleaned up and go to eat. And while they're eating, I have. I just had in my notes during the meal. I just said showers means that Mineta's dreams of hot spring baths might be just that, just a dream. But literally the next scene. So usually you and I, when we finish an episode, we're like, "Well, I wonder what's going to happen in the next episode. Will it be this? Will it be that?" And we find out literally first thing in the next pair of episodes the answer to that question. So next scene after they finish this meal, they're in hot springs. So hot springs are still totally a thing. So Mineta comes alive here in just a second. Oh, yeah. And it was really funny because whenever they're eating, everyone's talking about how delicious the food is and how great the meal is. And, you know, in fact, the the pro heroes are telling them, like, well, you better enjoy it because we're not doing this again for you. You're going to be cooking all of your own meals from here on out. Mineta says something along the lines of, uh, I'm really hungry for something else. And then he says, a bath full of boobs and babes. <laughs> and then this is when they kind of transition into, 
you know, this outdoor scene where they're in the hot springs and Mineta's going on and on about how a few small pieces of wood are the only things between him and heaven and how idiot and how idiotic the teachers are for scheduling their bath times with the girls when they're right next door to each other, butt naked at the same time. And everyone in 1A is like, dude, chill out. What is going on? But Man- Ida, Ida even gets pissed off and he's like, calm down, like, just knock this off. He doesn't, though. Instead of knocking anything off, he starts to climb up. So he starts removing the little purple balls from his head and, and climbing up this wooden wall. And when he gets to the top, he's just about to peer over where he can hear the, the girls are clearly out there. They like they have to be hearing all of this. It's, it's just like the shower scene where Mineta is, he's, he's using his words too much. He probably could have gotten away with it or at least a, a peek if he had just shut his mouth and executed the thing. Um, but he gets up to the top of the wall and Coda pops out, Coda with a T, um, pops out and like bashes him on the head. And he says, before you learn to be a hero, you need to learn what it means to be a human, which I thought was a pretty funny line from coming from a young child. Yeah. In the English version, he says, if you want to be a good hero, you got to learn how to be a good human. Yeah. And I thought that was pretty good. So then Mineta falls and as he's falling, the towel that he had wrapped around his waist comes off. So he falls bare-assed onto Ida's face, who's down at the bottom of this wall <laughs> chastising him. And he just gets like a face full of Mineta's butt. Yeah, poor Ida, man. And this was, again, this was just like the scene earlier with um, Midoriya getting punched in the scrotum. This is a scene where it could have been anybody on the on the boy's side of the fence that caught Mineta's uh, butt in the face. And it would have been funny, and I would have approved but it could have been some other particular folks that could have made that moment even better. Uh, like if, if he had fallen face first on Bakugo, I mean, I, I'm just going to keep on saying Bakugo because if Bakugo had gotten punched in the nuts or if he had had Mineta's fall butt first onto his face, it would have been hilarious. Oh, yeah. And because you know with Bakugo being the way he is, he would have threatened to murder everyone at UA. And, oh, yeah, absolutely. He would have, he would have absolutely gone off. Well, the the females obviously think that this is a great moment because they're like cheering Coda on the other side, and he looks over, and they show a pretty like risky shot of all of the females like bathing, and they're not dressed or anything. I mean, there's not nudity, but I was just shocked. I was like, "Whoa, okay." Fifteen years and, old folks watching yeah. this show and drooling over this. Fifteen years old. Be mindful. Right, right, and so the poor kid is like, "Oh." Oh my god! And he falls off the the wall, and it's funny because Midoriya grabs him real quick, but then it pans to his face, and his nose is bleeding. So I was like, "All right, Mister Roshi." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's already he's like six or seven years old, probably. Koda yeah. is, and he's already he he gets it. He gets it. He gets it. Yeah. Now I do want to uh, bring a quick wrap around to the last episode. Uh, something I didn't mention, especially since we're talking about Mineta. Uh, whenever Aizawa was going through all of the Class 1A students, did you notice that as he got near the end, Mineta was one of the last ones he says, and he takes a deep breath and sighs, and then he's like, and then we have Mineta. <laughs> no, I didn't. I must have missed that. Yeah, it was, and it might have just been like an English thing, but that the voice actor did this great, like, I mean, it, you almost wouldn't be able to catch it unless you were looking for it, I would say, but he's just going through the list, like, one after another, and then he's like... And of course we have Minoru Mineta, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, even he doesn't like this guy. Yeah, he's he's a he's an acquired taste, but he's he's also at the same time not a taste that I think should be acquired, if that makes sense. No, it totally does. Absolutely. Midori ends up taking Kota inside to his his mom's cousin. I don't remember what yeah. that makes him technically. I think that's like second cousin. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. 
And uh, so, you know, Midori is explaining the situation. Kota's kind of KO'd on this couch, and they put, you know, a towel over his forehead and went all this stuff. And anyway, the uh, this was this wasn't um, Pixie Bob. It was the other one. It was it's Mandalay. Uh, yeah, Mandalay is standing in there, and she says, "Yeah, we were told that one of the students was an embodiment of lust," and that is a direct quote, and it is also the best description of Mineta that I've heard yet. Yeah, the, yeah, I think they actually say that in the English version, word for word. The very well. embodiment of lust. He is lust incarnate. And I was like, yep, that's about right. So then this is and, also where you feel like there was some discrepancy with regards to Midoriya's character. Yeah, and I, you know we keep bringing it up, and I, I just bring it up because I thought it was funny, but this is another moment where Midoriya is literally naked in front of another girl. Like, he just has a towel on. Uh, which, you know, I realize that they've all been in like a bathhouse, so it's kind of different. And the culture about that is different uh, in Japan. But still, like another moment where poor Midoriya is standing there in a bath towel, basically completely naked in front of another female. And there's no embarrassment. However, talking to a Chaco is like the end of the world embarrassing. <laughs> uh, so it just cracks me up. I just little things like that. I'm like, all right, Midoriya. Man, he's he's committed. This would make him like the perfect, like every girl's dream husband where he has eyes and feelings and affections for nobody else but her you know he has all these opportunities he's alone with melissa and you know he's unashamed to be i mean practically for all intents and purposes naked in front of um one of the wild wild pussycats but you know just talking even on the phone with ochako like he did in that one episode just completely unnerves him which is which is sweet and it's endearing i mean it's it's one of those things where like he he has been portrayed as having eyes for nobody and affections or feelings for nobody but her so far. He's very pure of heart. Definitely. I mean, he's just, he's committed. He's just a committed yeah, guy. For sure. Well, and this is when he actually asked Mandalay, like, hey, what's going on with Coda? I had heard him mention that, you know, heroes were nobodies or that he didn't have any respect for them and doesn't want to be a hero. And he's like, I don't get that. You know, as a kid, I didn't have a quirk and I only ever wanted to be a hero. And this is when Mandalay explains that Coda's parents were actually heroes too, but they were murdered by a villain. And Midori actually recognizes the story. Like, it sounds like it was a pretty gruesome scene. And they actually have a couple of splashes here where it's a scene of, like, blood splashing on the ground and this little kid standing there and him him crying and whatnot. And it reminded me of the scenes or the quick flashbacks we were getting whenever Shigaraki had Midoriya in the mall. And I wonder if this kid is related to Shigaraki somehow, like not literally related as in family, but if maybe that Shigaraki had a hand in this somehow. I mean, it was only two years ago, so it's possible. Yeah, I didn't have that feeling. The language that um, w- was used to describe their death was he, he was told that his parents died a good death. That right. society kept referring to his parents Like a as, noble death. Yeah. And at Coda's age back then, two years ago even, um, you know, two years younger than he is at this moment, death by itself is a tough enough reality um, for him to have to wrestle with, let alone these qualifiers that try to spin it optimistically or, or positively. So, I mean, I can I get his resentment because of the language that was used around his parents' death. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... 
you know, he he has every reason to not want to be a hero or to have no understanding of why people would want to be a hero. And I feel like this is a pretty common trope that we see in animes and mangas where there's the kid that like absolutely refuses to have the same beliefs as the main character and it normally has something to do with like a parents that have passed away or something. Uh, so I'm kind of interested to see how they handle this relationship because I think it's pretty obvious knowing Midoriya, he's going to try and change this kid's mind. Yeah, you know I, I mean? was going to say this This definitely feels like a pretty hard setup for Midoriya to be somebody else's inspiration or muse. Yeah, like calling it now, you know, we're going to have another attack on this campsite. Midoriya is going to do something cool and Koda in four episodes is going to want to be a hero. Yeah. And he probably already has some quirk that's going to qualify him to be like a really good hero too. Like it just seems like this might be a little... Um, it's, it's telegraphed. It, it is telegraphed. This this has been the first time where I've been like, oh, well, I'm seeing this one coming, you know? Yeah. I mean, who, know, who knows? Maybe we're going to be wrong, but there's certainly... I hope it's, so. it's hard, given the history of the show so far, to read anything but this going on right now um, and to project, you know, the, the, the past repeating itself as far as Midori's effects on others, even those who are, like, in direct contention with him, because there was a time where Todoroki was like, all up in Midoriya's business about I'm going oh, yeah. to beat you and I'm going to beat All Might and all this stuff. And, you know, Midoriya ends up flipping a switch in him. And we we suspect that even though I think Bakugo is going to break bad, that he's going to have a redemptive arc and Midoriya will obviously have a hand in that. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how Koda's story plays out. Well, the students all end up going to sleep. Uh, they resolve all the issues with Mineta. I'm surprised they didn't kick him out. I mean, I figured we would have gotten a quick scene where it was like, yeah, we're sending you home, buddy. Oh, yeah, pal. But they, like, they continue to <laughs> let him be a student for some reason. Yeah, I was going to say, like, as, as a youth pastor, like, I take kids of both genders on camps, and, like, if, if I ever caught a boy trying to take a peep at any of the girls, that would be the end of that trip right there for that kid. I've been like, <laughs> yeah, buddy, like, you're going home, pal. See you later. I'm calling your parents. They're already on their way. You know, I can't believe that they kept him around. I want to see Mineta's folks. Like I, I want to see what his mom and dad are like, cause they haven't shown them yet, but I'm just interested in that. Do you suspect it's like learned behavior from his dad? His dad is going to be just equally as creepy as him or worse. Like Mineta is like a toned down version of his father. Well, I mean, okay, so you got to think about it this way. What kind of quirks has he inherited? Because we know what his quirks are, but what were his parents' quirks like? I don't know. I just want to see what they look like. I mean, the dude's got great balls on his head. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, what kind of what kind of quirks did he get from his parents? Like, what combination did they did they create? So maybe one of them just, is like um, is just able to generate balls from nothing, just like balls of you know, energy or bubbles or whatever. And then the other one is like sticky, like a slug or some such. And that would be a super maybe. gross quirk, but you know, could be a thing. Huh. Well, maybe we have something to look forward to. Maybe we'll see this one. Yeah. I hope that it's like a parent teacher conference with Aizawa. Cause that would make my day. That would be pretty. Oh man. He would hate that so much. <laughs> he would totally do it, but he would hate it so much. I, I do actually have a comment that whenever they were in the bus, uh, all the kids are kind of like acting up and Ida's yelling at everybody. And he looks around and makes this face like, oh my God, I'm, why did I do this? <laughs> what was I thinking? You know? Yeah. Um, but anyway, so they all rest for the night, uh, wake up in the morning and Aizawa has them testing their quirks. Uh, he, he's explaining to them like, you guys have improved a lot. Don't get me wrong, but you've really only improved in like mental prowess and maybe your stamina and a little bit of your experience. But as far as your quirks go, they probably haven't improved at all. And like has Bakugo throw a ball 
And it's just like that, you know, assessment that they did whenever they first entered UA. And he actually tells him, like, you know, whenever you first got here, you threw 705.2 meters. Let's see what you can do now. And he throws this thing. And, I mean, it's pretty impressive. Like, you, it, they make it look like he's going to have thrown it, like, four miles or something, you know? Right. And then Aizawa's like, yeah, that was just 709.6 meters. Not that much of a difference. And even all of the other students are like, wow, that's a disappointment. Yeah. Was, and so Aizawa uses this um, to explain to them that their their quirks themselves have not gotten any stronger. But his hope is that this summer camp will actually accomplish that very thing, that it's going to improve their quirks. Um, and he said, it'll be so hard you'll feel like dying, but try not to actually die, which I, I thought was a pretty great line. And so yeah. this is super exciting. Like, we're already... So we here's how this looks like from a bird's eye view is now we know what all of these students' quirks are. We've seen them applied across a a pretty, a fair, you know, variety of applications. And now we're being told that these things could evolve and, and be more than they are right now, which means that they could be further applied, which keeps, uh, you know, a a variety and a dynamism um, to the show that I'm excited to see. I want to see, what these guys' quirks turned up to 11, what what they're like, what they can do. Yeah, me too. And, you know, I have to argue with Aizawa just a little bit here because he makes the comment that nobody has improved their quirks much at all. But I would say that Midoriya has improved his quadruple, if not 10 times as much. I mean, he's able to control it now compared to whenever he took that first assessment test. He couldn't even throw the ball without breaking his finger. Yeah, but I wonder if, if Aizawa is still right in that Midoriya, he's able to control it more which which could be a technical thing which is what Aizawa had said that's but true the quirk itself hasn't gotten any stronger and so well and I don't know that his can get that much stronger you know what I mean like I wonder if there's a cap to how much stronger his quirk is going to get yeah I don't know what I would what I would rather see because it seems like he has access to the strength portion of his quirk but we know that there have been other quirks involved in this. We know he has at least one more quirk, which is to tra- like pass his on. Right. So that's something I haven't really thought about until just now, honestly. We know he has at least two quirks, which are just super strength, and then the ability to pass on his quirk. So I would yeah. love, instead of just seeing that super strength continue to improve, I want to see him start tapping into some other quirks he may have. I think that would be really cool. That would be really cool, because there are, at minimum, six others. There's at least... Well, at least four, I would think, right? Because there may have been others that weren't quirk people. Like, they could have been quirkless as well. Well, we know we know about the ability to transfer it. That's, you know, one for all prime. Right. And then you have All Mites, who had no quirk. So that's two of the eight that, have, that didn't contribute anything that we don't know about. So there's six. So we know that there's at least six. Yeah. yeah. There's a potential for at least six other quirks to be wrapped up inside of the one for all, yeah. I just I would think it would be really cool if he could start accessing more of those. Like I don't necessarily want to continue seeing Midoriya do the full cowling. Like that's cool, don't get me wrong. But we know he's got some other cool secrets. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but we also haven't seen All Might use a ton of other quirks. I mean, maybe uh, I the wind like stuff, got, maybe? Yeah, the wind stuff for sure, man. Like, we've not seen Midoriya. I mean, unless that wind stuff isn't actually a quirk and it's just that All Might is that much more powerful than Midoriya that whenever he does those punches, he is creating force. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's the case. Maybe, the, like, all of the powers combined are what's giving All Might and Midoriya that super strength. But I feel like there's got to be more than just that. 
Yeah, like the way that we're thinking about it is he could transition from one quirk to another to another or use all of, sure. all of you know, just for argument's sakes, all eight quirks um, right. simultaneously as if they were different things. And we, we It's kind of like a, like a CD changer. Like he's always got one loaded up in the background. Yeah, and we do, we kind of get that, that idea from all for one because he seems to be able to use a bunch of quirks all at once, right? Right. Yeah, it, well, and I mean, we've consistently been told that by All Might that whenever the power transfers, it collects other powers. And then every time they do the, like, you know, like in the movie, they did that Super Detroit Smash or the Double Detroit Smash or whatever. You see all those, like, balls of energy combine. I was assuming those were all the different, like, techniques or all the different quirks combining to create one, like, really powerful oh, blast. Oh, that's you know? interesting. I, that's, I always that was how that I was like interpreting that. a visual. That reminder that this is like the power of eight combined almost like a captain planet rings thing not power like being additive but that's interesting yeah i don't know that's one of the joys of having a show to watch with somebody else right like we're picking up on all the little things and we got the different opinions like this is the kind of stuff i live for i love this yeah it's fun and then we got you know people in in the community that are talking to us that'll absolutely uh, talk talk you know engage with us over this stuff as well in the discord and on twitter Definitely. Well, we, we wrap up this episode with a quick scene here. We've got Dobby and Toga, who are two new villains we were introduced to from a, a couple episodes ago. Uh, they're with a handful of other villains, but we're not. We either haven't seen them yet, or they're kind of cloaked. Like I don't feel like I recognized any of them, uh, and they're planning an attack. So we know that that's coming up. Yep. Dobby says something like, "We're we're going to light a signal fire for a brighter future." Yeah. And I got to say, uh, we, we had mentioned this earlier off air, but I was really looking forward to seeing like a reassessment test of all the quirks. But I actually watched the next on this week and I kind of get the feeling it's just going to be a bunch of like quirk training. Like it kind of seems like they're just going to be using their quirks over and over and over and over trying to break them down like you would a muscle in a gym. Yeah. And I think that that's an appropriate analogy because of what Bakugo explained back in season two, that quirks are very physical. And so if you kind of tease that out a little bit more, then it wouldn't be too large a leap in logic to suggest that they can be trained as if they were physical muscles um, and could be thereby, you know, um, pushed and then allowed to recover and then prove to be stronger than they were before that push. So um, we, like I said, I'm 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 super psyched about that idea. I like it because it keeps, like I said, it keeps this this learning edge to the show. We don't already know everything, and um, that's that's the mark of I think good literature in general. That you know, at any point during the the series, that you're not at the end of whatever it is, that you don't know something, that gives you something to tune back in for. That isn't just lights and flash, you know. Yeah, and you know before we say goodbye for the week. Uh, I've got two quick things that I wanted to bring up to you. Uh, something that I've been thinking about a lot over the last week. And I, I don't really necessarily know why I've been thinking about it, but I just kept thinking like, oh, I got to bring this up to Adkins next time I talk to him. Uh, whenever we saw President Mike facing off against Ojiro and Koda, there was that showdown between President Mike and Jiro where they're like blasting the subwoofers at each other. Do you remember that? Trying to cancel each other out? Yes. So I'm really shocked that President Mike hasn't given her like the technology he uses to amplify his voice or at least worked with her to improve her, her outfit. And on top of that, I'm really surprised he hasn't worked more with Coda because Coda has the ability to control animals if he can talk to them, or I guess maybe persuade them to do his biddings. 
but his voice is so quiet, you would think that he would have worked with someone like present Mike that could amplify his voice because he has that speaker box on the front of his throat. Yeah. So I'm just surprised that he hasn't like shared that technology out with some of the kids or that they haven't adapted something like that into their own outfit. Now, Jiro has speakers built into her boots, I think. Right? She does, but they're not super powerful. Yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe there's some room for improvement. I'll give you that. Yeah, I'm also surprised that she doesn't have like uh, I don't want to use the word antenna, but like some sort of like um, bowl-like structure that can receive sound waves easier. I mean, maybe her earphone jacks make it to where she doesn't need anything like that. But yeah, I would think that those jacks are just you know it's a it's a direct link instead of sure, having to receive signal. But I'm still shocked that Coda doesn't have some way to like improve his voice quality. I don't know. I, hadn't, hadn't really I don't know. The whole reason it. that I this that I'm thinking of this is just because we know that we're going to be seeing their quirks like stressed over the next few episodes. And I was trying to think with his like, is he just going to be sitting out there screaming? You know what I yeah. mean? Or is he going to be like trying to talk multiple animals into doing multiple things at once? Like, I'm just trying to think through how are these students going to be stressed? Like, I can think. Bakugo, it makes sense to just have him be blasting fire. Same with like Todoroki uh, and some of the strength guys. Like I can see what they're doing, but for some of these quirks that are kind of on the stranger side, I'm just like, I wonder how they came up with routines for that, you know? Yeah, that's an interesting point that I had given zero thought to. That now that makes me anticipate the next couple of episodes even more. Yeah, don't worry about it. It'll be answered in the first three minutes, I'm sure. I'm sure that's 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 how it works <laughs> with us. It is. Uh, and with that, we will leave you all. Have a great week, and thank you for listening to another episode of Almighty Podcast. See you guys next week. The Almighty Podcast is a production of the Back Patio Network. If you enjoyed this podcast, please check out our others at BackPatioNetwork.com. And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and check out our Patreon at Patreon.com forward slash BackPatioNetwork. And feel free to hit us up on Twitter at at BackPatioNet or at AlmightyPod. We'd love the chance to talk with you.